It's one of the Psalms. Uh, oh, Children's Church. That's what I forgot. Children's Church. You want to go with Miss Susie? Children's Church. Can go with Miss Susie. Psalm 23. If you have, I, I apologize. I did not get it to, um, to put up on the screen this week. It is one of the Psalms from the lectionary reading from the week. And we're also going to be reading from Mark, the sixth chapter. A little bit later on, it is the gospel um, reading this week. Psalms 23, many of you could, could quote this. Um, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, or if you're reading King James, it says, through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word of the Lord. Lord, I thank you for the Holy Scripture. God, I pray in these next few moments as we look into your Scripture, God, that we would begin to see ourselves for who we truly are and we would see you for who you truly are. God, that we would be conformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that you would bless us this morning, open up our eyes and our ears to hear and to see what you have for us today. I thank you for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I, I had thought about taking this 23rd Psalm and kind of preaching through the whole thing. If you remember, several weeks ago, Pastor Walker did that with the Lord's Prayer, and it was very powerful. And um, if you have not listened to it or don't know what I'm talking about, go back on the Facebook or on the uh, podcast and listen to that. It was a great breakdown uh, and spiritual that had provided a lot of spiritual application for the Lord's Prayer. So I thought about doing that with uh, the 23rd Psalm this morning, and as I was lining that out, I realized that that was going to take me a lot longer than you all would give me. <laughs> May Some of you. Some of you might have been gracious to me with your time, but uh, I went to a seminar one time and, and the guy said, he said, when people walk in your church on Sunday morning, they've already decided how much time they're going to give you. And uh, you just got, you just got to come to, come to reconcile that. So I try to think about that when I prepare. Sometimes, now, sometimes if I feel like the Lord is calling me to, to give you a word, I'm just going to give it to you, whether you want to stay for it or not. But this morning I felt like I wasn't supposed to go the whole way through the 23rd Psalm like that. And I want to pull out two characteristics of God this morning from the 23rd Psalm. Two characteristics of God. And at the end there he says, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And another translation says, surely your goodness and your mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And another translation says, your goodness and your mercy will pursue me all of the days of my life. God is good and God is a pursuer. And those are two characteristics I want to talk about this morning of God. The first thing is God is good. 
Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord, he is good. Scripture reminds us over and over that the Lord is good. And some days we resonate with those scriptures and some days that feels right and easy to say. And then there are some days that that does not feel easy to say. Sometimes when we say God is good, it's in a protest of how we are actually feeling. Sometimes it's a declaration of how we feel, but sometimes it's a protest of how we are actually feeling. C.S. Lewis said, if all we have is this life, then we would not say that God is good. We might, in fact, say that he is cruel. But we don't just have this life. The Apostle Paul said, if, if all we have is this life, then there's no hope. But we're not as those who have no hope. But God is good, and we say this, and we proclaim this, and we believe this. Sometimes we're, we're uh, like the psalmist in Psalm 100 where he says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give, him, give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Sometimes we're Psalms 100. But then sometimes we're Psalms 102. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let me cry. Let my cry for help come to you. Don't hide your face from me. I'm in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly. For my days vanish like smoke. My bones burn like glowing embers. My heart's blighted and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food in my distress. I groan aloud and am reduced to skin and bones. I am like a desert owl, like an owl among the ruins. I lie awake and have become like a bird alone on a roof. Sometimes we're Psalms 100 and we're singing and declaring the goodness of the Lord. And sometimes we're Psalms 102 and we feel alone and are begging God to just hear our cry. Some days God is good is an easy statement to make. And other days we're not so sure if we're truly honest with ourselves. Sometimes we're begging and pleading for the still waters that he talks about in Psalms. He leads me beside still waters and it feels like our life is a raging river. It feels like our life is chaotic and, and a raging river. Uh, last night I was trying to barbecue and, and I patted up the hamburgers and <laughs> went downstairs and I had the gas grill on because I had some ribs on the grill too. And when I get down there, I realize that the, I'm out of the gas has run out and my temperature is dropping on my grill. And so Ellie's out there and I, I put the hamburgers in her hands. I said, hold this. And I, I have another gas tank somewhere, but it's hooked up to my, um, my little fire pit thing. So I'm wrestling with it, trying to get it. And, and Ellie's standing there holding and I'm yelling at her to keep the flies off the, the meat. And, and, and it's just it's just chaotic, and then the window opens, and Sally's like, I need help. We had had an explosion inside, uh, inside the house. <laughs> I mean, it was a small explosion, but nonetheless, it was an explosion. And at uh, the same time, I'm like, well, let me get this. And then I hooked the gas up. I didn't get all the way hooked up, and when I lit it, it had a little explosion. It was chaos. <laughs> it, they were not still waters. And that's, that's trivial stuff, and everybody's still alive from that. And we cleaned up the glass, and, and the macaroni and cheese was ruined. But, it, but some of you are going through some real stuff this morning. 
Some of you are walking through things that's not trivial and laughable. Some of you are in the valley of the shadow of death. And it's hard to not fear evil. But the promise is, is that he's with you. And his rod and his staff, they will comfort you. And even when it doesn't look good, God is still good. Even when bad things happen, and trust me, I know that there is, there is a type of Christianity that wants us to pretend bad things aren't bad. You've been at funerals where people said things like, well, God has a plan, or God, God knows best, and I believe that God knows best. Don't, don't mishear me. But God doesn't bring bad things to teach you a lesson. God is not punishing you when bad things happen to you. I understand that that the writer of Hebrews tells us that whom he loves, he chasteneth. And that is true. And God does correct our course. And God does intervene in our lives and does bring correction. And God does humble us sometimes. But God does not give us diseases to teach us a lesson. God is good. God is the healer, not the inflictor. See, you've, you've, you've got God mixed up with the devil. Everything that is perfect and good comes, from the fa- comes down from the Father of lights. So God is good. And, 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 and there's, a, there's a type of Christianity, though, that likes to pretend that even bad things are, oh, well, and, and we mask our feelings and we don't, we don't allow ourselves to mourn. I mean, look, look at, look at the, 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 the world Jesus lived in. He came across people that were mourning. And he didn't criticize them for mourning. Because mourning is a part of life. When someone dies, it's okay to mourn them. When someone's taken too soon, it's okay to mourn them. God didn't do that. This world is set up, when sin entered the world, so did the wages of sin. And the wages of sin, we know, is death. God doesn't bring death, sin does. God doesn't bring pain, sin does. God steps into our pain, into our darkness, into our sickness, and brings life. That's what Jesus says. So even though we're going through difficult times, God is not punishing you. God did not do that to you. God is not trying to teach you a lesson. God is walking with you through that difficult time. He is leading you, as the psalmist said. And sometimes you go through the valley of the shadow of death. But because of who we know, we know Jesus, and he has walked through death and came out on the other side victorious. We don't have to fear death. I say this all the time. Death, in, in the world today, death is still allowed to speak. But it doesn't get the last word. Jesus does. And Jesus went through it. He didn't avoid it. God could have avoided death, but he went right through its guts, came out on the other side. And now when we have to walk through that, and eventually, unless he comes back, we'll have to go by way of the grave. He will be walking with us right through it. God is good. 
Everything that happens to you is not good. But God is with you. I promise you. God is not punishing you. God is with you. I thought for a long time something bad happened to us. And I don't like to talk about this very often. But we, we, had, uh, we had a miscarriage. And I felt like if I had been a better Christian, if I had been better somehow, if I had been a, a truer follower, God, if I had just lived a little cleaner, done a little more, God revealed to me that, no, I didn't do that to you to teach you a lesson. But I was with you when you walked through that. My arms are wrapped around you. I wept with you. I cried with you. We see this with Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus, his friend. He weeps. And he mourns. And theologians have been trying to figure out for centuries why he wept. Nonetheless, God wept when his friend passed. And when you weep, and he instructs us to weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. He's not going to tell us to do something he didn't do and wouldn't do. All right, I I think I've strayed from my notes pretty far. There is a pressure in certain Christian circles to pretend like we're okay when bad things happen to us. There's also a thought that if we're letting the Lord lead us, we will avoid the valley of the shadow of death. There's a little bit of thought in that in Christian circles. Well, if you were doing what's right, you wouldn't be going through this. Jesus Jesus promised us that in this world we would have trouble. It's one promise I wish he didn't give. In this world, you will have trouble. It's coming. But he's going to be with you. But I think it's important to understand the, our, our posture towards God has to be correct in that when we're going through hard times, it is not God cracking the whip. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. They will lead us. He does not punish us in that way. And again, I understand there is a way in which he does correct, in which he does guide, in which he does humble us, in which he directs our path in our life. And sometimes that is uncomfortable. Being corrected by the Lord is sometimes uncomfortable, but he does not use disease and affliction and death of loved ones to try to accomplish something in you. I heard one time a preacher say, God took my mom's life because he knew that's what it would take to get to me. No. No, he didn't. God loves your mom just as much as he loves you. (laughs) Okay. I think we get the point. We got the point. I I have been guilty of thinking, and I already gave you that example of, of when bad things happen, that if I had been better. Now, don't mishear me. There is a life of sin that brings bad things. There is a life of sin that will bring bad things. If you're out there um, illegally dealing narcotics or firearms or something like that, don't say, well, this isn't my fault. It's just life when somebody comes to your door because you've done illegal things. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm saying when you are following Christ and you are a follower of Jesus, he does not punish you in that way. God is good. 
And, and when, all, when God does everything that God is going to do for all of us, I've heard it said this way, that God has done everything he's going to do for Jesus. He has raised him back from the dead. And someday God is going to do for us everything that he did for Jesus, right? We are going to participate in his resurrection. And when that day comes, we will be able to look back at our life and we will be able to declare with confidence that God is good. Amen? And we declare it now. Sometimes we declare it because we feel it. And sometimes we declare it because we know that day. Paul, the Apostle Paul tells us, in that day we will say, death, where is your victory? Grave, where is your sting? It's in that day, on the day we're resurrected. Okay. God is good. Even when we can't see it, he is. But when all the tears are wiped away from our eyes, when all the loved ones we've lost are reunited, when we are there with him on that day, we will say unequivocally that God is good. And it's a prophecy almost now. And yes, we believe it, but it's, it's almost prophetic. So whether you're in Psalm 100 or Psalm 102 this morning, there's a God who's leading you in paths of righteousness. And it's funny because if you read Psalms 101, Psalms 100, he's, he's high saying, God is good, I'm going to praise you. Psalms 101, he starts saying, I'm going to live righteous, starts saying all this stuff he's going to do. And then by Psalm 102, he's pretty desperate. Because it's not by our righteousness. It's not by anything that I can do. But it's only by his grace and his mercy. Amen. And then the next attribute of God I want to talk about is that he is a pursuer. Goodness, I already talked about his goodness. Goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. The gospel reading from the lectionary this morning is Mark chapter 6. There's a lot going on in Mark, the sixth chapter. A whole lot. Jesus is basically rejected by his hometown. He's not, he doesn't do a lot of miracles in that town because of their lack of faith. He says as a prophet has no honor in his own country. Then he sends the apostles out, the disciples out two by two. They go out and they, they lay hands on people. People are healed from sickness. Demons are cast out. Then we get the story of John the Baptist and how that Herod murders him in a terrible way. And then immediately after that, we get the disciples return to Jesus. And that's where our reading picks up. They return to Jesus from doing their work that he had sent them out to do. The apostles gathered. This is uh, Mark 6, 30 through 34, and then picking up 53 through 56. We'll talk about the stuff in the middle in a minute. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. They were hangry. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things, 53. And when they had crossed over, they came to a land at Gennesaret and moored the boat. 
When they got out of the boat, people at once recognized him and rushed about the whole region and began to bring the sick on mats wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in marketplaces and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. What the lectionary leaves out there is a pretty big story right in the middle of the chapter. It's how that Jesus feeds the 5,000. So we have the disciples come back and they're, they're, it's, they're either visibly exhausted or they tell Jesus they are because he says, let's go away for a place to rest. Because, and then, then it gives the, the narrator gives us this detail because they didn't have anything to eat. And so they go, they get on a boat and they try to get away from the crowd but the crowd sees where they're going, and they run on foot and follow to where the boat's going to be. And as soon as they get out, the crowd's there waiting for them. And so here are the disciples. And I thought about this when I was reading this. The disciples are hungry. We know this because they haven't eaten. Jesus then starts having another church service, starts teaching again. And then the disciples come to him, and you can read this. It's in Mark, the sixth chapter, some of the verses we didn't read. They come to him and say, send these people home. Because we're in a remote place. They need to start thinking about supper. Wink, wink. And so do we. No, they didn't say that. Send these people home. They're getting hungry. And they didn't say it, but we know from the scripture that they're hungry too. And Jesus says, Give them something to eat. What? And one of them says, it would take a half year's wages to feed these people. And Jesus says, well, what do you have? Go find out. Five loaves, two fish. We were going to split that 12 ways. Jesus, you weren't getting any. (laughs) And then Jesus makes the disciples split them up into 50s and 100s. I mean, these guys are exhausted. They're hungry. And they have to serve other people at the point of exhaustion. And then they have to gather up the leftovers. So here they came back high on the hog, right? We've been laying hands on the sick and they've been getting healed. We've been casting out demons. And Jesus turns, turns them into waiters. And that's another sermon for another day. But that's what we're all called to do. The greatest calling is being the servant. In their minds, they're thinking about, you know, who performed probably who performed the greatest miracle while they were out on their missionary trip. And you might say that's reading into the text. Have you heard some of the conversations they're going to have with Jesus a little bit later on about who the greatest is? Who gets to sit at his right hand and his left hand? And Jesus tells them, Jesus, and, and, and that is what I'm talking about, a correction from God. A correction from God will look like that, not like punishment or disease or sickness. Or God will humble us sometimes like that. 
But here are these men who are tired, and, and, and I want to talk about, what I'm wanting to talk about is the relentless pursuit of God. Jesus is exhausted as well. But he saw the people and he had compassion on them. And he would, he would not get rest until they were fed. He would not rest until they were taken care of. And then you read the end of the story. It says, then he immediately tells the disciples, get in the boat and go to the other side. So they still, I mean, I'm sure they probably ate at this point. If not while they're gathering up, I'm sure they're eating. I would have been. We didn't have, you know, the health department back then. They didn't have to worry about, there was no five-second rule and all that stuff. So Jesus tells them to get in the boat. They start going over. Then they encounter a storm. So they can't even rest in the boat. They can't even take turns. They're, they're in the storm. And then Jesus comes to them, and immediately when they get to the other side, there's people waiting on them. And Jesus' life was just relentlessly pursuing people who were hurting. It was relentless. He would take time to pray. He would take time and get away to pray, and that is important because I'm not going to be a whole lot of good to you if I don't spend time in prayer. But Jesus was relentless in his pursuit of others. He was relentless. And these exhausted, hungry disciples, they, Jesus was teaching them to be relentless. When God was in the flesh among us, he pursued the hurting the lost. The goodness and mercy of God that was manifest to us and the Lord Jesus Christ pursued. He pursued the lost and he has not changed. That goodness and mercy is still pursuing others today. It's pursuing you. Jesse said, you're not here by accident. He's pursuing you. He's after you. He is relentlessly pursuing you. He loves you. He wants to extend his mercy to you, and he is relentlessly pursuing you. It's relentless, this, this love that God has for us. Luke, the 23rd chapter, 41 through 43, says this, We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. I saw a quote this week that rocked me, shook me to the core. It says, the thief on the cross isn't so much about last minute repentance as it is about Jesus' lifelong ministry to sinners. To the very end, he comes for the lost. To the very end, he comes for the lost. Think about this. This is the last breaths, the last, some of the last words of God being crucified. He could have made demands. He could have made threats. He's God after all. He could have said, just wait until I rise. I've said this before, but if that, it's a good thing that it wasn't me because I'd have went to Pilate's house and said, remember me? I'd have gone to Herod's house and said, you want to see a miracle? How about this? That's how you know in that way I'm not where I need to be yet. But God with his dying breath tells, 
someone who is not worth remembering according to society at that time. Society had given up on him and said, you are not worth remembering. And Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, says, I will remember you. Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. And he says the same to you and I. Titus 3, 4 through 7 says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life, not because I'm good, not because I've done good things, but because of his mercy and his goodness, he pursued me. And I am now a joint heir with Christ, and so are you. And so was that thief on the cross. That thief on the cross was never going to put money in the plate. He was never going to teach a Sunday school class. He was never going to drive a bus. He was never going to mow the grass. He had nothing to offer, not one thing. But the mercy of God extended to him. And the mercy of God, that same mercy, it's pursuing you. And you can resist it right now, but I'm telling you, it's coming for you. (laughs) Mama's praying for you. Grandma prayed for you. Somebody's praying for you. And the mercy of God will find its way to you. So you might as well give in. (laughs) You might as well give in and give up. And say, Jesus, be Lord of my life. I want to follow you. I accept you. Forgive me of my sins. But it doesn't end there. That's just the beginning. Then you got to start following. Then you got to start following this Jesus. And guess what? He's going to lead you to places where you're exhausted and you're tired and you don't and you're hungry. And then he's going to ask you to serve somebody else. Because His love is relentless. Your love has to be relentless too. Because he pursues with mercy and goodness, you have to do the same thing. Amen. Amen. I feel like I'm getting done with my messages earlier and earlier. I don't know what's going on, but it's only 11.10. But I'm going to ask the band if they'll come back up. We're going to go into a time of communion. God relentlessly pursues you. So so here's my two points if you... uh, if you get lost, like it's sometimes easy to do when I'm talking, is God is good. God is good. God intends good for you. God has good for you. God is good. And number two, God is a pursuer. He pursues. That goodness will pursue you. And in the 23rd Psalm, we see that goodness and mercy will follow me, will pursue me all the days of my life. And that's what God is doing for you. That's what God is going to do for me. It's not what we have done. There's no good that I have done that can, that can earn God's grace, that can earn God's mercy. Our righteousness, though, we, when we try to be righteous, they're like filthy rags. But we are justified through faith in Christ. And when the Father sees us, when we run to the Father, He sees a son, He sees a daughter who is justified by His Son, Jesus. So I'm going to ask um, my brother Isaac if he 